major brands. Okay, so I want to show you some of the funniest ones, some of the ones that uh, I think are uh, entertaining. So Nike, one of the biggest brands in the world, um, has a lot of imposters, and these are trying to get as close as they can to Nike without actually being Nike. So we have uh, Nike, we have PK, Keen, Kine, however you want to say it, Mikey. <laughs> All right, so uh, another person, um, I mean, who would blaspheme the name of Colonel Sanders in KFC? But there are people out there who do that. So you have KFG, you have KLC, there's an MFC, uh, RFC, and a crispy fried chicken, which is KFC, but not quite the same one. And don't forget there are other restaurants out there like McDonald's, Burger King, and Pizza Hut that have their own knockoffs. There's Burger Madam and Sir <laughs> instead of Burger King. Uh, it's hard to read, but it says that McDonald's has three arches, and it says, oh, Mick. Mick Donald's. Uh, <laughs> and then there's Pizza Hit, Pizza Hall, and Pizza Roof, which <laughs> is really funny. So don't forget uh, Starbucks, one of, another, one of the more popular brands in the world, has its own knockoffs. There's Sunbucks Coffee, and then Stars and Bucks Cafe. Uh, reportedly, the person who posted the Sun or the Stars and Bucks Cafe said that coffee is more expensive than it was at Starbucks, ironically, which I don't know how you can do that. So we spend, uh, we could spend all day looking at different examples, but I do want to leave you with a few of my favorite one-off examples. So who needs Microsoft Windows when you can have Microsoft Benbows? <laughs> oh, that one's funny. And instead of Superman, we have Special Man. <laughs> Extremely special. And... I don't know if you guys know it, but MasterCard decided to get into the restaurant business with Master Beef, <laughs> the MasterCard symbol. It's hard to read, but that says Master Beef right there. And who needs a Nintendo Switch when you can play on the Nintendo Poly Station, which is not a thing, by the way. I don't know if all of you guys know video games, but that's not a real thing. And I don't know if you've ever opened up a pack of Oreos to eat them because you're bored, but instead of eating normal Oreos, you could just eat Oreos. And I think one of my favorites, and the last one I'm going to show you, is the mashup between Toy Story and the Marvel Universe with this Avengers Buzz Lightyear. I don't know who these guys are, but they just, I think, found any plastic toy, took the Avengers background box, and just sealed it on there to sell it. I, I would like to see a Toy Story Avengers mashup where Buzz Lightyear is like the bad guy that all the Avengers are fighting and take over the toys of the world. Anyway, so this, my friends, this kind of stuff is what happens when people in unregulated markets do whatever they want, right? And, and they modify the things that are proper and they try to profit off of it for their own pleasure. Although I would say I wouldn't mind eating at a restaurant titled Master Beef. I mean, that sounds pretty good. So there are many things in history that have been knockoffs, fakes, or gimmicks. Now, it might not make much of a difference whether you're eating at KFC, KFG, or RFC, but it does matter when you start losing track of the truth and the way that God wants things done. That's when it starts getting really important. So we're continuing our series, as I said earlier, about obscure Bible stories. 
And we're going to take looking, a look at a couple of chapters from Judges that we may not have paid that much attention to through the years. So go ahead and turn with me to Judges chapter 17 and 18. So uh, while you're turning there, let me give you a, a background of the book of Judges and how, how we land in this story. So Moses uh, frees the Israelites from Egypt um, with God's power, obviously, and God's inter- involvement. And they wander the desert for 40 years because they mess up. And then uh, Moses is getting old and Joshua takes over. Uh, and the Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land. God still wants, even though they're disobedient, he still wants to bless them and move them into the promised land. So Joshua moves into the promised land. Things are good while Joshua is alive. The tabernacle is where it needs to be. Uh, the Israelites are settling into the land. Things are good. But Joshua dies, and a couple of generations later, things start falling apart. The, the people take a nosedive spiritually. And they forget that's what it says. They, they forget about God. And everybody starts doing their own thing. And that's where we get to the book of Judges. Everybody just does what they think is right. And that leads to God having to send people that, he's called, that are called judges. They're like prophets. They're people that God is working through to get his people back on track. Right? So there are 12 judges in the book of Judges. And the last judge we read about is Samson in chapter 16. And that's the rest, that's the last of the judges in the book of Judges. And then the last five chapters kind of have this running narrative, this running dialogue about what it's like to live in Israel during this time. And so there are a few different stories that are covered. And that's where we get to our story today. So let's go ahead and look at verse or chapter 17 and see what it has to talk about. Let's look at the verse two, first two verses here. Now there was a man in the hill country of Ephraim, which is kind of right in the middle of Israel, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. All right, so this chapter opens up with this guy named Micah. And we do not know anything about Micah. This is the first time he's mentioned in the book. And he just kind of comes out of nowhere. And we don't know much except that he stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his mom, um, which is not a good start, if you ask me. And Micah's mom cursed the person who stole the silver. And when he figures out that she cursed, he's like, okay, I guess I'll fess up and give it back. So he, he uh, gives back the stolen silver to his mother. And then what happens next is super interesting to me. Let's look at verse 3. So he returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I wholly declare the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and a household idols and household idols and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. <coughs> now, I don't know about you, but this sounds kind of messed up to me. So when you see the, the Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, that's the name of Yahweh. So it's not they're not dedicating the silver to just like some random guy who rules over them. 
They're dedicating the silver to God. And the mom thinks the best way to dedicate the silver is to have an idol made out of it. What? How does that make sense? Keep in mind, the Ten Commandments are pretty clear. That are the ones that God gave to Moses and then he passed down to the Israelites. And presumably, Micah and his mom at least know them because they live in Israel. And the first commandment is, do not have any other gods before me. Don't have any other gods. Don't have any idols. And obviously they know about God. They know that his name is Yahweh. And yet, here they are, taking 200 pieces of silver and making an idol out of it. So despite, despite this, despite Micah and his mom probably knowing what's right, they, they choose to go along with this plan and they, and they essentially set up their own religion. Right? They're starting their own form of worship. But it's not just like their own religion with their whole new brand, brand new pantheon and practices. No, it's a knockoff of what God describes in the law of the Old Testament, right? Micah takes the silver image, makes other household gods, so apparently there's more than one, and he makes his son his priest. Even gives his son ephod, which is a garment um, meant only to be worn by Levitical priests who were seeking out the will of God. That, that's what it was used for. So Micah is taking these bits and pieces of what God says is proper worship, and he's combining it with what he wants to do, and he's making this whole new knockoff brand of worship that goes against what God says. And he's even using a silver dedicated to the Lord to make his idol. So, if proper worship was the brand name restaurant, essentially what Micah is doing is setting up his burger, Madam and Sir, right next to Burger King, which is obviously straight in the face of, of God and uh, an affront to his holiness. Now, we may ask why this story is included in Judges. Like, why, why is this mentioned? It doesn't have any context. These characters just come out of nowhere. What's going on? I think verse 6 tells us exactly why it's here. Look at that with me. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. This story is here to illustrate the state that Israel was in at the time. The people were lost. They were doing their own thing, and as a result, evil persisted in the land that God had given his people. And now, the story of Micah, unfortunately, doesn't end here. It gets worse if you believe it. Let's go ahead and keep reading. It gets even worse. So, verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, which is a little further south of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, right? And these were the people who were allowed to be priests, according to God. And he was staying there. And the man departed from the city, from Bethlehem, in Judah to stay wherever he might find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. And I'm going to stay wherever I may find a place. Micah then said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you 10 pieces of silver a suit of cloth, and your maintenance every year. So the Levite went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. 
So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, seeing I have a Levite as priest. So when Micah says, Will you be a priest to me? That gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. And then he consecrates him. Where does he get the authority to do that? Right? So this young man who is this Levite, and he's looking around, runs into Micah by chance. He's like, sure, yeah, I'll be your priest if you pay me and give me some silver and and feed me and give me some nice clothes. And presumably the Levite knows what God wants, right? He probably knows the law. He's a Levite after all, and he lived in Bethlehem. Presumably he at least knows some of it, and he knows that that's not right. And then Micah and uh, this Levite come together, and Micah is so happy because he's like, surely now that I have a Levite, you know, I got, I got an official guy to be my priest. Surely God's going to bless me now. Like, he has to, right? Because I have a Levite as priest. So looking back on the story, which isn't finished yet, by the way, but looking at what we've read so far, we are blown away, blown away by how blatantly... Someone could walk away from God. How, how could they make so obvious choices against what God wants? Well, the thing is that we probably aren't all that different, unfortunately. I think we can make some of the same missteps that Micah and the Levite priest made. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. We're going to touch on that point about how we can mess up. But let's continue the story. And we're not going to read it now because chapter 18 is pretty long. But I do want to fill you in on the story. So, the tribe of Dan, um, which is descendants of Jacob. So they're one of the tribes of Israel. They're one of the promised people of God. They get the idea that they haven't gotten a fair share of what they deserve in the land. right? And so they want to move. They want to go find their new land. Make their own land. So they send out five spies to go ahead and look at a place to settle. And while these five spies are on the mission, they run into the Levite priest at Micah's house, and they see the silver idol. They see these idols that Micah has. They see that he's a priest with an ephod, and they're like, I think I want this. The, Israel, the, the Danites are like, yeah, this looks good to us. And they continue on um, to look for their land, but before they leave, they say, hey, you're a Levite priest. Obviously, you got all the authority going on here. Does God bless what we're doing? Does God bless us looking for a new land? And the Levite priest tells him exactly what they want to hear. And he says, go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. Now, there was no backing behind those words. He was merely tickling their ears, justifying the Danites' evil intentions. So they continue on thinking that God is prospering them, thinking that they have what they need. And they go find this land that looks pretty nice. And the people living there are too far away from everyone else to be safe. Essentially, they picked this nice area with people who were easy pickings so that they could go and attack them and dispossess their land. So these five spies, after they get this approval from Micah and they find the land, they go back uh, to the Danites and they say, pack up, start moving, we're going. So there's 600 armed men with the children and women and all their stuff and they're moving along. The first step, the first stop they make is at Micah's house. They're on Micah's doorstep and he says, 
they say to the Levite priest, hey, why don't you come with us? And we'll take all these idol stuff and you can be a priest to us. And they, they prick, they cater to the pride of the Levite priest, right? So this is what they say to him. Come with us. Be to us a father and a priest. It is better for you to be a priest to the house of, is it better for you to be the priest to the house of one man? Or to be the priest to a whole tribe and a family in Israel? The priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the household idols and the graven image, and he went among the people. So then Micah finds out about this, and he takes some men, and he goes and confronts the 600 armed men, and he asks for his stuff back. He's like, hey, you took my priest. You took my God. What are you guys doing? And they're like, you better watch yourself. Go back home, because we're going to kill you if you don't. So he's like, okay, I'll go back home. So he returns empty-handed. And then the story ends in one of the most possible ways. So the Danites, with their improper worship and their so-called priests, they go to the land that they found and they kill a bunch of innocent people. And they take their land and they burn down their city and they set up their own town and their own knockoff worship. They do their own thing. And the chapter 18 ends with this improper worship being set up in Dan. And it says that it continues all the way to the time when the Assyrians came and took over Israel for many, many, many generations. And this, by the way, is the background. Remember last week when we said Jeroboam set up two calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan? This is why one calf went to Dan. It's because it was this house of improper worship in the northern kingdom. This is where that comes from. Talked about a messed up story. I mean, none of it is right. You can see how off track the people got from God and how there was this compounding effect of disobedience and evil and improper worship that lasted, as I said, for generations, for a long time. And as with our story last week, we may be surprised to find these kinds of things in Scripture. And it definitely isn't the Bible story that you'd be teaching at a kid's Sunday school. You know, like this isn't the first thing you want to go to. But it's true, even if it's a little hard to hear. But as we said last week, if the Bible includes something, it's there for a reason, right? So why is this story in the Bible? What function does it serve and what can we learn from studying it? Number one. There are a lot of knockoffs in the world. So whether it be Heike or KFG or Burger Madam and Sir or Microsoft Bimbos or a variant of improper worship, the word is the world is full of knockoffs. And this is why it's so important to steep yourself in the Bible, to make Jesus your king and to make Yahweh your God. It is your foundation. So you will be set up on firm ground. And when the knockoffs of the world pass you by, you won't be tempted to join them. Just like the Danites, when they were traveling by and they saw what Michael, Micah had going on, they're like, yeah, I want some of that. But if they were firm in what God said, they wouldn't have done that. So we cannot do what is right in our own eyes. We can't do what we want unless it conforms to Scripture. Because if we do, that's going to lead us to a bad place. Just like the book of Judges records. And that's why it's in there to warn us, to show us what not to do, to show us what happens when we decide what is right. And when I read the book of Judges, I see a reflection of the modern-day world when I look at it. 
Because there are a lot of religious and spiritual people out there making claims and following what they think is right. What they think is right. And it's important to not establish your own belief system or to go along with someone else's like Micah and the Danites did. Just because it may feel good or look good doesn't mean it's good. Which leads us to number two. Prosperity doesn't mean you're following God. All right? So there were a couple of different examples in this story where people felt like they were prospering, that God was blessing them. Micah thought that having a Levite priest just come along and become his priest meant that God was going to prosper him. The Danites felt like they were on the right path, trying to seek their new land and kill these innocent people because the Levite priest said that they were good, that they were doing the right thing. So they felt like they were prospering. They got their new land, their new city, but God wasn't with them. And the Levite priest got two job promotions in these chapters. First, he became a paid priest of Micah with a pretty good wage. And then he became the priest to a whole tribe of people. He probably felt like God was prospering him as well, that he was on the right path. But despite that they all felt like good things were happening to them, God did not prove of one thing that they were doing. All of it was against what God wanted. And it's important for us to realize that in our lives, just because maybe things are going well for us doesn't necessarily mean that we're walking in step with God or what he wants in our lives. I mean, just look at the wealth and prosperity of the United States. That doesn't mean we're all walking along with God. You can agree with me on that, right? There's a lot of messed up stuff that goes on here. And the flip side of that is true. Just because things are going poorly, just because you're in hardship, doesn't mean that God's forsaken you either. Obedience comes with blessings and hardship But obedience is not measured by our circumstances. Obedience is measured by what is laid out in Scripture and how faithfully we're following it. Number three, our actions have consequences. So in the story of Micah and the Levite priests and the Danites, it just ends at chapter 18. It doesn't say anything more about it, which is just so strange that the story comes out of nowhere and it ends just abruptly. There's no resolution. We might expect God to have like sent some kind of judge to the Danites to correct them or you know, some kind of plague or natural event to happen and turn the people back to God. But no, there's nothing like that. But when we look at the rest of Scripture, there is an eerie silence when it comes to the tribe of Dan. They start to just fade away. So when you look in the Bible such as in First Chronicles... We won't go there now, but there is a list of all the tribes and all the things that God is giving them. And guess what tribe isn't mentioned? Dan. Dan isn't mentioned. At the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's the talk of the 144,000. And it goes on to list all the tribes of Israel. Guess which tribe is missing? Dan. Dan isn't mentioned. Why is that the case? Well, perhaps it's because the tribe of Dan slowly faded away. They got absorbed into the world around them. They separated themselves from Israel. They literally moved to a different place. They started their own form of worship. They put up their own shrines. They got their own priests. And they moved out of the land where God wanted them to be. Because of their loose form of worship and their loose connections, 
to God, they probably started intermarrying with the people around them, which God didn't want them to do. And they probably took on their cultures and ideas, and essentially they removed themselves from relationship with God. They, they removed themselves from Israel and God's chosen people. So if we don't ground ourselves in what God says, we can also drift away. The consequences of our ungodly actions might not be immediate. The Danites weren't punished immediately, but what happened is over time they drifted away. They were lost. So if we get caught up in what we want to do, and, we, and, our, and our appeal is to the world around us, other, rather than what God wants us to do, we're going to get pulled away. We're going to move away from God. And I think that is a proper warning and a stark reminder to take this book seriously, to take, to take this seriously. And to follow God by our own ideas. So I hope you enjoyed looking at another Bible story that we don't often get to look at this morning. And I hope that you see the value in what this story is trying to impress on its readers. Right? It's not just a record of how wrong people were. It's a record of saying, hey, open your eyes. Look at what was going wrong. Don't be like them. And I hope we all take that warning to heart. And I know that if we stick with the Bible, that if we make it our foundation, we won't be moved. We'll have a secure hope for the future. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, look at another one of the stories that you've recorded in your word. I pray that you allow us to take the lessons um, from Judges 17 and 18 and apply them to our lives to rely on you and what you say is proper for our worship. In your son's name we pray. Amen.